0: We are in the season of Lent. A number of us gathered this uh, coming Wednesday. Oh, the kids get to go to, yeah, they get to go to Sunday school. There you go. Thank you. That's why we have Lauren, to keep me on track, right? Let those kids go. So we're in Lent. We gathered Wednesday. Uh, For Ash Wednesday, um, many of us bearing the ashes on our our foreheads and uh, remembering that from dust we've come and to dust we shall return, but God's name is is blessed. So as we gather around the scriptures now, Lord, guide us in our studies as the children go uh, to their studies, lead us to a deeper, wiser, more faithful discipleship to Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, each of the four gospel writers has a unique way of introducing us to Jesus. If you've been around the Bible for a while, which I suspect a lot of you have, you, you would know this. Matthew begins with a, establishing kind of the messianic, genealogical bona fides. Matthew begins with a genealogy. Son of Abraham, son of David. Matthew is saying, this guy's legit. So, so he's, he's got the right bloodline. And so that's how, how Matthew begins. And then later he gets into uh, the wise men and all that. That's, that's Matthew. But he starts with a, uh, establishing the genealogical bona fides of, of Jesus. Luke has a conversational introduction. Most excellent Theophilus... I have compiled these materials so that you may know the things that have been told about this Jesus. And then Luke gives us the stories that we know and love so well at uh, Christmas of the angelic visitors um, to Mary announcing the birth to the shepherds and the no room at the end. That's all Luke. But Luke has a conversational introduction to Jesus. John... ...as I think we know, opts for a a more poetic, artistic introduction... ...almost bordering on existential philosophy. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He speaks of Jesus in this language of the Word, the Logos... ...before we even get to the name of Jesus... And so, Matthew and Luke and John ponder the mystery and wonder of Jesus, His birth, His incarnation, this fulfillment of the generational promises. We've been talking about that for a number of weeks, this generation to generation promise made to Abraham. And so, they they speak of Jesus and His birth, and then there's Mark. Mark comes at this very differently. Mark is like the band manager. And the band is over there and they've been rehearsing and then they're talking and maybe strumming a little bit. And the band manager comes and says, all right, boys, we got a deadline to meet. Let's get back to work. That's Mark. Mark. Or if Mark were a tour guide, he would be the one, okay, everybody out of the bus, take a picture right here, but get back in because we got a lot to see and let's go. Kind of an impatient tour guide. And so let's read Mark's introduction, how he introduces us to Jesus. Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 19, I think. So we'll, we'll start on page four. 1555, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angel's, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I'll stop there. Wow. Oh, maybe not wow, maybe it's whoa. Uh, slow down, Mark. <laughs> Okay, we just read 19 verses. In those same number of verses, Matthew has barely wrapped up the genealogy. Just a bunch of begats. In the same number of verses, Luke is just lingering on the birth of John the Baptist. John has just made his dramatic flourish about the Word being made flesh... The other three gospel writers in this set of verses is just barely getting us to Jesus. And Mark has John the Baptist preaching revival. John... Baptizing Jesus, the heavens being torn open, the Spirit descending, Jesus out in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days, Jesus preaching His first sermon, and gathering His disciples unto Himself. Mark, let's go. We got stuff to cover. What in the world is going on? I want to enlist Mark today to get us into the Lenten season. We only have a few weeks of Lent, okay? So let's get down to business. Mark is practical. He has his eye on the bottom line. He wakes us up to the reason Jesus has come. Mark doesn't linger around the birth. Narratives. He introduces Jesus to us as an adult. Mark cuts to the chase. Jesus came to announce the kingdom. Jesus came to announce the kingdom, to proclaim the good news of God. And so, there is a new era that unfolds when Jesus is born. A new epoch. A turn of the ages, that which was foreshadowed, that which was prophesied, that which was looked forward to down the corridor of time, that promise to Abraham has found fulfillment now in Jesus, and the new age has begun. Mark wants us to know that. And, and Jesus comes, and, and in the, announcing the arrival of the kingdom, he disrupts the status quo, And he calls for a radical life change. A change is required if you are to experience the kingdom of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Which is a Hebraic way of saying it has arrived. Repent and believe the good news. Mark gets us there quick. He lifts up. What Jesus has come to do, repent and believe the good news. There's a word that rhymes with repent, and it is Lent. Lent and repent. The two words are connected, but they are not synonyms. Our word Lent, to describe this season of the church year that we are in, is from an older word that means lengthen, Lenten. The lengthening days of spring. The days are getting longer. Have you noticed that? Right? And so, Lent just speaks of this season when the days are getting longer, but Lent is a 40-day season as the church has practiced it, beginning with Ash Wednesday, ending with Easter, and if some of you might get out your, I don't think that's, that's more than 40 days. We don't count the Sundays. We don't fast on Sundays. This is a time of celebration, and so We pause our fasting on Sundays and Lent. But there's a pattern of 40 days. Where do we get the 40 days from? Well, at once the Spirit sent Jesus out to the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was hungry. He fasted. And so, the tradition of giving something up for Lent draws from this experience of Jesus who was driven out into the wilderness and He hungered for 40 days. Mark doesn't even give us the three temptations, that's the other gospel writers. And so you may have a practice of giving something up for Lent. You are following the pattern of Jesus. The notion is, as we hunger for that thing that we are abstaining from, whether food or drink or activity, when you feel that gnawing appetite for that thing, that hunger is to remind you of God, of the season, and you are to turn to prayer. That's the Lenten practice. But I want to return to the word that rhymes with Lent, that Jesus utters here, he proclaims, he declares, repent, repent and believe the good news. It's a bit of a lost and maligned word in our Christian vocabulary and modern world. In one uh, arena, it might call to mind the, the, the sidewalk prophet on a busy city street corner with a sandwich board. Repent, the end is near, and so we have that almost a caricature, kind of a crazy, wild-eyed person. Or repent may recall for some of us a childhood we had where we were scolded and, and we were told to feel ashamed for some fun that we were having. And so, repentance often gets associated with feeling bad. Repentance is a feeling that we have of being ashamed and and being scolded in, in some ways. And so, for this Lenten season, brief as it is, I want to unpack the meaning of the word repent. We don't talk about it much. We should talk about it more, but this is the season to do that. I want to unpack and explore this word that we would get a deeper, truer understanding of what Jesus calls us to do. Repent. It's a thing you do. Repent and believe. The Bible's originally written in Greek. We have it in English. The Greek word that sits behind our English word repent is metanoia. Metanoia. Say that with me. Metanoia. Meta, change, noia, mind. Change your mind. That's what repentance is. Change your mind. Change the way you look at things. Re-examine your life. Rethink your life. Re-frame your life in light of Jesus, in light of the kingdom that has come near. Metanoia is something that we do with our minds, but with our minds and our hearts and our wills and our souls. Metanoia is something that is an interior change that we make that works itself out. But metanoia is not the the cool, intellectual, abstract, philosophical reflection of the ivory tower. Let me think about my life. Metanoia is a life-altering, reframing of everything you thought you knew about this world and your life. It it is, as it were, you, you know, when people go... It's that, metanoia. Somebody's like, oh my gosh, I see it now. It's a paradigm shift. I used to see the world this way, I don't see the world that way anymore. It's the aha moment, it's the, wait a second. Are you telling me that's metanoia? When we experience those moments, you have had a metanoiac moment. Your mind has, whoa, wait a second. got to rethink this. If that's true, then there are implications. That is metanoia. You see the same world, but you see it in a completely new way. And in seeing it the new way, it leads to a new way of life. When you metanoia. When you repent, you're never the same. You are not the same person. You cannot go backwards. Once you see it, you can't what? So we've had those moments. That is metanoia. We have those experiences. You will never look at the world the same way. And so metanoia happens when what we thought we knew and were convinced of meets a new reality. So in the Star Wars movie, what is the metanoia moment around Darth Vader? <gasps> it's Luke's father. Holy smokes. And Luke and Leia are, oh, you got to be kidding me. Who remembers that moment, right? Okay, yep. In Harry Potter... Everyone knows Professor Snape is the bad guy, right? It is confirmed when he kills Dumbledore. And then the metanoia moment is when we discover that Dumbledore and Snape have been friends, deeply loyal friends, and there was an agreement long beforehand that Snape would kill Dumbledore when Dumbledore tells him. And when he's saying, it's time, now, Snape is not. Holy smokes, I got to rethink all my Harry Potter now, right? Sorry for the spoiler. All the kids are out, right? So, okay, I wanted to get them out of here before we talk about that. In the physical science, Copernicus calculates and understands a new way of thinking about the heavens. The sun doesn't revolve around the earth. The earth is orbiting around the sun. As a witness to the failure of metanoia, the Catholic Church excommunicated Galileo for holding a Copernican view. Now the church has figured that out since then. But at that moment, it was a refusal to metanoia, to see the world differently. And of course, we see this reality playing out in the Scriptures. This is what happens. This is why Mark, because Mark is written after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's it's a, all of the gospels are retrospectives. They're not they're not, you know, journalists writing down at the moment what happened. They're retrospectives. And so Mark makes repentance the key. We don't, we don't, we don't need, th- those other guys will tell you about the birth. I gotta get to the heart of this thing. It's about repenting, seeing things differently. And we know that the religious establishment of Jesus' day could not see him any other way. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and others refused to metanoia. They refused to see Jesus any other way than as an imposter, as a heretic, as a blasphemer, as a threat to their power and privilege and entrenched way of life. Religious though it was, they didn't Metanoia, they refuse to see Jesus a new way. Because metanoia, repentance, is disrupting and it is disorienting. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta rethink this. Metanoia is disorienting, especially when it comes to matters of faith, and God, and the kingdom. And our participation in all of that. And so Mark basically says, let's get down to it. This is where the action is. Jesus announces that the time has come. The kingdom is here. And so metanoia, rethink what you, everything you thought you knew about Abraham and the promises and being chosen. And, and, and the kingdom and Messiah. You have to rethink all of that. Rethink and re-examine everything you think you know. And so that's what we want to do for these next few weeks. Let's rethink what we think we know about God and our world and our neighbor and certainly Messiah. That's what we will do. We're going to metanoia. Metanoia. We're going to rethink, we're going to re examine, we're going to reframe, and I hope in the process we will repent. I cannot promise you that it will be easy. Um, let's just say it this way you probably will not walk away in the coming weeks the way you did last week after that sweet little video and the tears and the warm fuzzies that we all had. That's not metanoia. (laughs) Metanoia is going to be, I don't know if I want to come to this church again. Because I don't think I like what he just said. (laughs) If we do the work well. If we do it honestly, transparently, openly. If we let the scriptures shape us. Then our metanoia means we will never be the same. And guess what? That is exactly why Jesus came. Amen and amen. Lord, lead us to a true, deep, honest, faithful metanoia, repentance, that we might turn and then believe, and in believing, be saved and converted afresh. Lord, you have our hearts, have them even more. As we make our journey in this Lenten season. And all God's people said, Amen. And so let's.